When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations, to find my backlist of interviews, or to check out my summer reading guide for 2023, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. There is also a link to the summer reading guide in the show notes. I am thrilled to announce that I have launched a new Patreon level for those interested in accessing even more unique bonus content. My original level, called Page Turners, still includes my popular Early Reads program, where patrons have access to monthly early digital reads through NetGalley and exclusive pre-publication author chats, as well as monthly bonus episodes and fun surprise content. My new level is entitled Lit Lovers and includes all of the Page Turners benefits, as well as access to my new Traveling Galley program, where patrons have early access to at least three to four new titles a month that are in print galley form and are passed along to other members a monthly fiction-nonfiction pairing episode, a monthly episode containing bonus, spoiler-filled interviews with three authors, and finally, read-alike requests via email. Lit lovers can send me a book they loved, and I will respond with similar titles. This was such a popular and time-consuming add-on for me that I am moving it off of my main show. My true love is author conversations, and I want to be able to keep that focus on the show. Today, one of my favorite guests, Kelly Hooker of Kelly Hook Reads Books, returns to chat with me about our favorite books of April through June of 2023. Kelly is an avid reader, reviewer, and bookstagrammer who works part-time as a speech pathologist in Michigan. She has three young boys and firmly believes that nap time is for novels. She's an audiobook enthusiast and loves hosting book club reads and author events under the title Chapters and Chats. She creates seasonal reading guides to help readers pick up the right book at the right time. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Welcome, Kelly. How are you today? I'm so good. It's just happy to be here with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I am so glad you're here. It's always so much fun to talk books with you, and this is going to be a whopper of an episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so before we dive into that, what is going on with you? Well, last night I 
co-hosted the Chapters and Chats book club with Ivana, and we hosted Kathleen Grissom, the author of Crow Mary, and one of my all-time favorite uh, historical fictions, The Kitchen House. And she was wonderful. And then we're really looking forward to hosting Claymont's Michelin, the author of The Quiet Tenant, on July 19th. So I'm going to be raving about that book later today. But if anybody wants to join, just send me or Cindy a message and we can get you signed up for that author chat as well. That sounds great. And I'm so sad that I missed Kathleen Grissom, but I had a literary salon here. And I found out yesterday that in September, my literary salon is hosting Alice Feeney for her new book, Good Bad Girl. So I'm really excited about that. She's coming from the UK. Oh my goodness, that is incredible. She is one of my auto-buy all-time favorites. She is just such a clever storyteller, and that is going to be an amazing event. I'm really excited. And I'm glad Kathleen Grissom was good, and I've heard nothing but fabulous things about The Quiet Tenant. Yes, I can't wait to chat about it. So because we have so many books we want to talk about, we're going to dive into that. This time around, and I feel like a broken record because I have been saying this for many months, 2023 is providing such a huge abundance of books. And really particularly for April through June, we had fits narrowing it down. Yeah, there is so many to choose from. And it it was painful trying to narrow these down, but we did it. It was painful. And I'm going to give a shout out to three that got nudged off at the end because I just feel like, oh, I loved them too. But I was really trying to balance the list. And there's only so many books we can talk about. I know that's true. So Kelly and I both finally managed to get it down to 20 titles. And after we did that, we realized eight overlapped. So we are talking about those eight first, going back and forth, talking about them based on pub date. And then we're going to each talk about the 12 that we really liked after that. You have the first book. Would you like to start? I would. It is. It was an ugly couch anyway, and other thoughts on moving forward by Elizabeth Passarella. And this came out May 2nd. This is the second essay collection by Elizabeth Passarella that I have given five stars. I really, really loved her first book, Good Apple, and her second did not disappoint. She uses the common threads of this beloved old couch, which is long past its prime, and an emotional roller coaster of a move into a former hoarder's apartment throughout the stories. And I just love the way that she explores the nuances of motherhood and life in New York City and moving forward in the aftermath of grief and change. And she's just so candid and vulnerable in the way that she shares about her life. And I found her stories of imperfection so relatable. I was so happy that she had reached out to me to do an Instagram live. And so I got to interview her and it just felt like chatting with an old friend. Like things just came so easy and her book reads like that too. I just loved it. And that was, it was an ugly couch anyway. And other thoughts on moving forward by Elizabeth Passarella. So I actually listened to this one. Did you? No, I read the physical copy. Isn't that funny that we flipped? Cause usually you're the audio person and I'm the reader. But she reads it, and I just loved it. And I have not had a chance to interview her yet, based on the conversation we had before about how many books are coming out. And so I just scheduled an interview with her, and I have launched a new Patreon level called Lit Lovers. And in that level, I'm doing these spoiler-filled conversations where I interview three authors a month after the regular interview, and we talk all sorts of spoilers about the book. And so she's going to be one of the first ones I do that for. And I'm really excited because I think her book will lend itself well to that with some of the subject matter. Oh, absolutely. And I did listen to the very last little bit of the audio because I heard that she did a really special interview. So I did listen to that portion of it and it was wonderful. 
Okay, good. Because yes, I was thinking, I hope you did not miss out on that interview. No, no, I didn't. Great. Next up is Lucky Girl by Irene Muchimi and Deertru, and this came out May 2nd. This is an Own Voices debut novel that I just adored. I would describe this as a coming of young adult age story, and it follows Soyla, and she's a young woman who leaves Kenya to pursue university in New York City and forge her own path despite her mother's wishes. She's really seeking to define womanhood, faith, and relationships on her own terms. What I thought was most interesting about this story is the cross-cultural exploration between African Americans living in the U.S. compared to people born in Africa who then moved to America later on. I just thought it was really fascinating to see how Soyla's worldview was shaped by growing up in a country where she was not a minority and how that contrasted with the experience of her African American friends in the States. So I think that if you liked Mame by Jessica George, you'll want to pick up Lucky Girl by Irene Muchimi and Chu. And tell me about why you enjoyed this one too, Cindy. Well, the whole reason I found this one was you. You were raving about it. And so I was like, I'll try it. And I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. And the cool thing about it is Soyla goes to the same college in the book that my daughter goes to in real life. So it was really fun to read about Barnard in the pages of Lucky Girl and think about my daughter's experience compared to Soyla's experience. It was really interesting. And I went on Houston Life, a local TV show recently, and this was one of the books I highlighted. I just thought it was outstanding. Mm -hmm. I did too. And I love that personal connection that you have with your daughter. I told her she needs to read it. Yeah, I would love to hear what she thinks too. Absolutely. So the next one is Drowning by TJ Newman, which came out on May 30th. This is former flight attendant Newman's follow-up to her 2021 number one New York bestseller, Falling, and it's a heart-pounding thriller that grabbed me from page one and did not let up until I literally finished the last page. Six minutes after flight 1421 takes off from Honolulu, the plane plummets into the ocean. As the passengers and crew work to evacuate the aircraft, an engine explodes and the plane begins to flood. Those still inside the plane are forced to abandon the evacuation and attempt to seal themselves inside the plane. But it's too late, and the plane slowly sinks to the bottom with 12 passengers still inside. I love that instead of a whodunit, this was just a thrill ride with one problem happening after another. There's a lot of personal connections that I don't want to spoil, but I really enjoyed that as well. And the other thing that I thought really made this one stand out was that her characters are very strongly developed. And you don't always see that in a thriller. A lot of times thrillers are governed by plot and the characters just move the plot along. But here she had very strong character development. And I felt that that added to the story a lot. So I thought it was a can't put down thriller and it's perfect to toss in your beach bag or take to the pool, but you might not want to read it while you're flying. Yes, I listened to the audio of this and a lot of the time I was driving And I looked down at my hands on the steering wheel and I was white knuckling it, literally white knuckling it on the steering wheel, just so tense from this story. It was so cinematic. And I was thinking about the trailer that they had when this book released. It was like a movie trailer that the publisher released. And I just saw this play out in my mind like a movie. It was amazing. And I think that she has a movie deal for it. Oh, that would make sense. (laughs) I know she does for falling, but I feel like I heard that she does for drowning as well. But yes, definitely I can see where you'd be white knuckling it. Mm -hmm. And your husband loved this too, right? Oh, he did. Thank you for that reminder. Yes. 
I'll pass him books and he'll take us several days to read them. And then he's like, yeah, that's pretty good. He read this in less than 24 hours. And like, that was amazing. I can see why. Yeah, it's really good. So that was Drowning by TJ Newman. Next up, I have Charm City Rocks by Matthew Norman, and this came out June 6th. I am not typically a rom-com reader, but this one really hit all the marks for me. Billy Perkins is content with his life as a single dad and a music teacher, and he lives out his relatively uneventful days above a record shop called Charm City Rocks. Billy's tidy world is upended when a longtime celebrity crush, Margot Hammer, the former drummer in a rock band, crosses his path. I really adored how Billy's son was so invested in his father's happiness. And I also really appreciated that this was a middle-aged love story, which I feel like you don't often see in fiction. I loved the reminder about the ways that we can redefine happiness for ourselves in different seasons of life. That was Charm City Rocks by Matthew Norman. Tell me more about why this one worked so well for you. Until I saw your summer reading guide, I had never heard of this book. And I love stories about musicians. And so the second that I saw it on your guide and I looked it up, I was like, how did I miss this one? So I immediately got it. I read it. I loved it. I talked about it on Houston Life as well. I had already missed the deadline for my summer reading guide, but I thought, well, this is a good way to still highlight it. I just thought it was so well done. And I also felt like it was a love story to Baltimore, where the author is from. And I love that strong sense of place that always stands out for me. So just all the way around, I thought it was a really fun read. Yes, me too. So the next one is The Puzzle Master by Danielle Trussoni, which came out June 13th. This is such a hard book to describe. It really crosses a number of genres, science fiction, mystery, thriller, and supernatural. It stars Mike Brink, a football player, suffered a traumatic brain injury that resulted in a rare medical condition called sudden acquired savant syndrome. He can now solve puzzles in a way that others cannot. Jess Price has not spoken a word since her arrest for murder. After she draws a puzzle, her psychiatrist calls in Mike Brink as he believes the puzzle may explain her crime. So the two end up working together and they're drawn in a quest to solve a puzzle like no other. The book includes creepy dolls, puzzles, AI, a thriller component, and more. It is a really intelligent story that delves into a variety of subjects. It will certainly make you think. Her publisher provided my Patreon group with 35 hardback copies of the book And then we got to meet with her right after pub day to talk all about it. And it was so much fun and absolutely fascinating. And that is The Puzzle Master by Danielle Trussoni. I loved this book and I loved tuning into the early reads event that we had because she showed us a picture of the creepy doll that inspired that part of the story. She did, which I thought was so much fun. She tried to hold it up to the group and people were like, that's creepy. And then she said, send it out, Cindy. And I sent it out and so many people wrote back, okay, it is way creepier when I can see it up close. So that was pretty funny. (laughs) Yes. And just the research that she did with real puzzle masters that work for the New York Times and just thinking about how this is people's jobs to put these puzzles together is just so fascinating to me. Absolutely. And it's such a clever cover. Mm -hmm. So the next one is Night Will Find You by Julia Heberlin. Julia's from Texas, and I'm always a huge fan of Texas authors, and she hits it out of the ballpark with her latest thriller, Night Will Find You. At age 10, Vivi Boucher becomes famous when she made a prediction that saved a boy's life. Years later, she's an astrophysicist who does her best to suppress the visions she sees. Mike, the boy she saved, grows up to be a cop and believes that Vivi still sees the things that others do not. 
So Mike ropes Vivi into helping Jesse, a police detective and friend of Mike's, who only believes in things that he can see. And Vivi is roped in to help with the cold case regarding a kidnapped girl. I am always on the lookout for unique and entertaining thrillers, ones that don't read like the other countless ones on the market. This thriller definitely fits the bill, and I love the Texas setting as well. The book is being developed into a TV series, though the writer's strike is slowing that down a bit. I hosted Julia last night with Kristen Bird for my literary salon here in Houston, and we had the best time. She was a huge hit with the crowd, and I cannot wait to see this be made, hopefully, into a television show. I also would love it to be a series, and I kept asking her and prodding her last night to see if she couldn't develop it into one, so we shall see. I'm a huge fan of Vivi and Jesse, and would like to see them return in another book. And that is Night Will Find You by Julia Heberlin. This was such a fascinating read, and I'm so glad you put it on my radar. I did the audio for this, and it's narrated by Carissa Vacker, who is one of my favorite thriller narrators, because I think she just captures the emotion and the tension so well. And like you said, this was such a unique read, and I also really appreciated the social commentary on conspiracy theories and just what news sources are out there. And I thought it was just a really interesting story. She talked about that at length last night, that she was a journalist for a long time and she worked for newspapers and how important it was to her and her fellow colleagues to make sure they got the story right and how the truth was so important and how that seems to have changed today and the sources of news and all of it. It was absolutely fascinating. And she also talked a lot about Vivi and how she's an astrophysicist. So she's believing in science and all of these things, but she also has these abilities and how sometimes those can collide. So definitely it's a super thought provoking book, but it's also just very well constructed. Yeah, I totally agree. So the next one is Banyan Moon by Tao Tai, which came out June 27th. Banyan Moon follows the lives of three generations of Vietnamese women. When the grandmother Min passes away, she leaves daughter Huang and her granddaughter Anne Banyan House, the gothic and mysterious home where Min raised Anne. However, Huang and Anne are estranged and cannot fathom owning a home together. As the story bounces between Min's early years in Vietnam and the present as Anne and Huang get to know each other again, long-buried secrets are revealed. With Min looking out for her daughter and granddaughter from the great beyond, the women begin to understand each other better and come to terms with their choices and how those choices impacted their relationship with each other. I just thought this was an absolutely stunning tale about the bonds between mothers and daughters and how that can inform your entire life. Clearly, it did for these women. It is an atmospheric, character-driven story that left an indelible impression on me. Readers who love books with a strong sense of place will really enjoy this one as well. This was one of my Patreon group's early reads. We got digital copies early through NetGalley and then met with Tao pre-publication, which the group loved. I was thrilled when I learned that it was a read with Jenna Pick for July. This is the second or third time that one of my early read selections has been a celebrity pick, and I'm always overjoyed when that happens. And that is Banyan Moon by Tao Tai. Yes, I never would have heard of this one until Jenna picked it, probably. <laughs> but I loved that you had been recommended this one early, and it is one of my favorite covers of the year. I'm looking at the cover right now, and it is just stunning, just with the blues and the greens and the beautiful tree. I can't get over it. I agree completely. The last of our shared favorites is The Seven-Year Slip by Ashley Poston, and this came out June 27th. 
I have got a thing for time travel stories. I just, I don't ask questions. I just go with it. And I don't get down by the particularities of how it's all going down. But I just love them. The story begins in summer in New York City with Clementine, who is grieving the death of her aunt instead of taking their annual vacation. And to Clementine's surprise, she stumbles upon an unexpected love in her late aunt's mystical apartment, which her aunt had referred to as a pinch in time. This man is perfect except for a small problem. He exists seven years in the past. The backdrop of the publishing world added a layer to the story that I really appreciated. I just love the witty writing and the way the themes encourage readers to chase big dreams. That was The Seven-Year Slip by Ashley Poston. What were your thoughts on this one? I am the same way on time travel stories. So as soon as I heard about this one, I was like, I have to read it. I like the added idea of that the time travel happening only in this apartment. So as soon as Clementine steps out of the apartment, she's back in her regular time. And I thought that was so clever. And I was really curious how the story would wrap up because sometimes that can be a little bit of a problem with time travel. And she just handled it beautifully. I thought this was so well done. And the other thing about it is there are some really substantive issues addressed in this book. I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to say anything about them. But it is not just a light and fluffy story. There's definitely some depth to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it struck a really good balance. And I'm so glad you put this one on my radar. Me too. I just loved it. Now we're going to go back and forth with the rest of our choices, the 12 you really loved and the 12 I really loved. And why don't you start? I'll kick it off with The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs by Laura Tremaine. And this came out April 4th. This book felt like one giant hug from all the friends I've ever loved. I would say that this is part memoir and part friendship guidebook. Laura shares stories of her own treasured relationships, and then she presents 10 distinct roles that friends can play in our life. She encourages readers to recognize the various forms that friendship can take, and then also appreciate and seek out friendships that fill our bucket in different ways. She also mentions friendships forged online. And this one really struck a chord with me because of the personal friendships that I've made online, including yours, Cindy. So I thought it was really fun that she specifically mentioned that because online friendships have been such a big blessing for me. The Life Council was such a unique friendship philosophy, and I thought that Laura's ideas were really thought-provoking because they had me considering my own relationships and the way that I'm showing up for the people that I care about. Laura narrates the audiobook herself, and I just binged it in a day. This didn't seem like a story that was going to go down quickly, but it really did. That was The Life Council by Laura Tremaine. I always hear such great things about her books, but I've never read any of them. Oh, I think that you would really appreciate them. Okay, good. So my first book is The House is on Fire by Rachel Beanland, which also came out April 4th. I love historical fiction that introduces me to events with which I was unfamiliar, and The House is on Fire does just that. Beanland tells the story of the Richmond, Virginia fire from the perspective of four townspeople and wraps in some historical figures present for the fire as well to create a compelling and well-researched drama. At the city's only theater, a Charleston-based theater company is getting ready to hold two performances on the evening after Christmas. All three levels are packed for their performance, so over 600 people are in the theater when the fire breaks out. The characters are remarkable and unforgettable, and Beanland very effectively illustrates what it was like living in Richmond in the early 1800s, as well as depicting what it must have been like in the theater when the fire broke out as everyone panicked and rushed for the doors. I felt like I was at the theater with flames all around and people being trampled. Her writing was that descriptive. 
More women perished than men, and many of the injured were nursed in nearby homes, and at the time, Richmond didn't even have a hospital. It's a story about class, race, slavery, tragedy, loyalty, and redemption. I thought it was such a compelling glimpse into another era and an event that I was very unfamiliar with, my favorite kind of historical fiction, and that cover is absolutely stunning. And that is The House is on Fire by Rachel Beanland. Yes, her author's note was fantastic. I like how she really had a great blend of fact and fiction, and she just wove those together beautifully. I agree completely. Next is Only Love Can Hurt Like This by Paige Toon, and it came out April 25th. This was such a tender story of longing, devotion, and moving forward after loss. The story follows Wren after her canceled engagement leaves her heartbroken. She leaves the UK to spend the summer on a farm in Indiana. She doesn't plan to make roots there, but when she meets Anders, a reserved but ruggedly handsome man, she begins to imagine her life in new ways. So I'm a Midwest gal myself, and I just felt deeply connected to the rural setting and the small town secrets kept me invested in the story. The love story here was slow and steady, and there wasn't any banter that I often find cheesy or distracting in love stories, and so I appreciated the lack of banter here. Readers who enjoy books by Jojo Moyce will appreciate Only Love Can Hurt Like This by Paige Toon. I like the setting in this one a lot. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. So my next one is There Will Be Fire. Margaret Thatcher, The IRA, and Two Minutes That Change History by Rory Carroll, and that came out on April 4th. While this is nonfiction, it literally reads like a thriller. In the midst of the troubles, the IRA launched a daring plan to assassinate Margaret Thatcher and her cabinet members on the last day of the 1984 Conservative Party Conference at the Grand Hotel in Brighton, England. While the attempt failed, the near-miss ordeal shaped how Thatcher viewed and addressed the troubles going forward. Carroll focuses the first half of the book on a quick history of the Troubles and its origins, as well as the events leading up to the bombing. The second half depicts how the police quickly mounted an exhaustive search to find and capture the bomber. It is filled with intrigue and political history, as well as true crime, all structured around a tense countdown to the bombing. I truly could not put this one down once I started it. So much of what Carol depicts weaves into current events, such as Brexit, as well as raising the question of what would have happened if the IRA had succeeded. And that is There Will Be Fire, Margaret Thatcher, The IRA, and Two Minutes That Changed History by Rory Carroll. That sounds really interesting. And that is one that I feel like has flown under the radar a little bit. I haven't seen it around much. I agree. And I feel like there's been a boom in stories set in Ireland during the Troubles, fictional stories. And before I read this book, I would read them and not exactly understand the background of the stories. I mean, I could enjoy the fiction, but I was missing some of the understanding of the history and what caused the troubles. And he has the most effective description, very clear, decently brief, that just starts at the beginning, walks through a history of the troubles, what started it, where it is today, all of it. And I felt like that was so useful and really helped me understand some of these other stories better. Definitely. Next for me is The Half Moon by Mary Beth Keene, and it came out May 2nd. This is a very character-driven story that follows a married couple, Jess and Malcolm, and the small-town bar they own, The Half Moon. We meet them when their marriage is in shambles, and through dual timelines, we see how it got to that point. 
over the years, they've had struggles with infertility and infidelity and their struggling bar business. The story explores these minor missteps that can turn into colossal unravelings if left unchecked in a marriage. I just really loved the symbolism in the story and the way that the Half Moon Bar felt like a character in itself. My only qualm with this book is that it is set in the middle of a brutal snowstorm, but it released in May. So I read this last December over the holidays, and so it was really perfect and cozy for me. But I I would recommend maybe saving it for fall or winter reading when you're wanting to curl up with a really great book. That was The Half Moon by Mary Beth Keene. People rave about her books, but I have never read her before. I haven't read her debut, Ask Again Yes, and it's on my TBR, and I definitely bumped it up after reading this one. Okay, good. Well, my next one is Going Zero by Anthony McCartan, which came out April 11th. Ten people have been randomly selected to test an astounding piece of spyware called Fusion. Cy Baxter has created this groundbreaking technology, which he claims can track anybody anywhere in the world, but the selected participants are certainly out to prove him wrong. They have exactly 30 days to remain off the grid, totally remaining undetected. If they can do so, they will get $3 million in cash. This is a super thought-provoking read. Life in the 21st century means almost everything we do can be tracked through internet searches, credit card purchases, text and phone messages, and even our movements because there are so many cameras everywhere. I was immediately captivated by the premise and was fascinated by the technology and the cat and mouse game that these participants were playing and how they tried to avoid capture. The ways that they were found one by one was also really intriguing. I don't know if this technology exists yet, but I'm sure it will soon, which really made me ponder how connected we are and what the ramifications of such connectedness are. There's a giant twist about midway through that I absolutely did not see coming, and it made me much more invested in the story. This one is a page turner with a clever and engaging premise, and my husband loved this one as well. I actually first picked it up because he wrote the Broadway musical, A Beautiful Noise, about Neil Diamond, which I just saw this spring and loved. He's an award-winning playwright as well, which is kind of funny because this is this technology thriller, and that is Going Zero by Anthony McCartan. Oh, interesting. It sounds like he has a wide array of talents with his writing. Absolutely. Next for me is Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang, and this came out May 23rd. This was such a bold, unputdownable book. We meet aspiring author June, who witnesses the tragic death of her fellow author, frenemy slash rival, Athena. In a split decision, June decides to pass Athena's upcoming novel off as her own. June's character was one that I loved to loathe, and her cascading bad decisions were like watching a bad car accident. You just could not peel your eyes away from her horrific actions. The author raises incredibly timely questions about who can tell what stories, and at times this book read like a searing expose of the publishing industry. It's rare that I binge a book that isn't a straight-up thriller. But the inside look into the publishing industry and the snarky protagonist kept me turning the pages. That was Yellow Face by R.F. Kwong. You have been raving about this one, so I need to pick it up. I just haven't had a chance yet. So my next book is The Daydreams by Laura Hankin, which came out May 2nd. The Daydreams follows four teen stars whose popular show was derailed by a spectacular collapse on live TV. 
and then their reunion special 13 years later that will either redeem them or finish them off for good. Told in a dual timeline format set in 2004 when the Daydreams Band is created and in 2018 when they reunite, the story follows each of them as they are learning to deal with success and the media in 2005 and then what happens with them and where they are in 2018. As they reunite, they struggle to move forward, instead holding grudges, keeping secrets, and desiring to understand exactly what happened 13 years before. When their reunion begins to go sideways, the group learns there is more going on behind the scenes than they realized. Hankin infuses so much humor and character into the story, while also focusing on timely issues present in our society, how the press and TV execs treat young stars, especially in the early 2000s, society's obsession with fame and those stars who flame out, racism, and much more. It's such a fun read, but contains a lot of thought-provoking issues to ponder as well. I devoured this book in less than a day and am completely in love with the stellar cover. And that is The Daydreams by Laura Hankin. I am a millennial, and so I felt deeply invested in the story because it was very reminiscent of a Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Mickey Mouse Club scenario. And so it felt very nostalgic for me. I just loved that she really kind of opened the door on a lot of these shows because there's always so much more going on behind the scenes than what everyone is seeing in real life. And I just loved the way she portrayed all of that. Yeah, I can, I can appreciate that too. Next for me is The Senator's Wife by Liv Constantine. This came out May 23rd. Of all of the books on my list, I think this one is the biggest popcorn thriller. I definitely need to be in the right mood for something like this, but I just completely devoured this book by the pool on vacation and thought it was perfect for that. The story starts off with a bang, literally. When the spouses of Sloan Chase and Senator Whit Montgomery are killed in a tragedy, the two of them move forward by finding love together. Sloan's life in the limelight of political events comes to a halt with a chronic illness, and then the story takes off from there. Be ready for conniving congressmen, old money extravagance, and people that won't stop until they've made it to the top. This book has a heaping side of gaslighting, and the authors make it nearly impossible to know which characters can be trusted. If you're willing to suspend a bit of disbelief and you enjoy domestic suspense like The Housemaid, be sure to add The Senator's Wife by Liv Constantine to your beach bag. It has a great cover, too. It really does. It was a fun one for me. So the next one for me is The Tiffany Girls by Shelley Noble, which came out May 9th. This is historical fiction, and it is based on the real-life Tiffany Girls. The Tiffany Girls provides an in-depth look into the fascinating group of artistic women who work to create the world-famous Tiffany glass pieces. It's 1899, and the Paris World's Fair is coming up, so the main focus at the Tiffany studio are the pieces to be designed for the installation. Much of the novel follows the process of designing and creating Mr. Tiffany's Four Seasons stained glass window. The rest mostly revolves around the girls' everyday lives in and outside the workplace. The women are responsible for much of the design and construction of Tiffany's extraordinary glassworks, which I didn't know. This was something that was completely unfamiliar to me. Often they even selected the right color glass to be used. Noble must have done an incredible amount of research for this one and her ability to bring Tiffany's studio and the manner in which the stained glass was created to life so vividly is phenomenal. I was completely engrossed in all of the meticulous details and spent a fair amount of time Googling the stained glass works highlighted in the book, as well as the World's Fair itself. And that was The Tiffany Girls by Shelley Noble. 
That sounds great. And another one that I hadn't really seen around much at all. I agree. I was surprised because it has really, really good reviews on Goodreads, but I have not seen many people talking about it at all. Well, I'm glad you brought it to the show. Me too. Next is My Murder by Katie Williams. It came out June 6th. This was smart, speculative fiction, and it was also set in mid-Michigan where I grew up, and so that made for a fun personal connection. The story is set in a near-future dystopian world where Lou, a reincarnated woman, seeks to solve her own murder. Lou and four other women were victims of a serial killer and were later cloned and brought back to life as part of a government project. It's important to note that my murder is not a thriller. I thought it was so much more than a mystery, and it leaned a bit more towards women's fiction. I loved Lou's journey as she tried to reclaim her role of mother and wife, which were roles that she was really struggling with prior to her murder. I love the themes of motherhood, second chances, and the social commentary on potential consequences of advanced technology. My Murder by Katie Williams was a quick read and would make for a fascinating book club discussion. That's so fun that it's set near your hometown. Yes. Other than the fact that there was a serial killer running rampant in the streets that I (laughs) knew and loved. But it was interesting because I messaged her, the author on Instagram and had just asked if she had a connection to the area because her bio said she lived somewhere else. And she's like, yeah, I grew up in East Lansing, Okemos area. And I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, grew up in a town right next to it. So it was really fun to, to read a book set right where I had lived. I hadn't had that before. Absolutely. That had to be so much fun. Definitely. So my next book is Adrift by Lisa Brito, and it came out May 9th. Adrift is a mystery set in a not-too-distant future where climate change has had a drastic effect on the world. It's set in Canada's Pacific coast, and the globe is near or possibly just past the tipping point of climate devolution, with many island nations already submerged and frequent unprecedented storms. Emigration and immigration are urgent and pressing topics, and established nations such as Canada struggle to balance national needs with the intensifying influx of immigration. Suddenly, a new issue arises. Individuals discovered alone on rickety boats, completely amnesic. In this context, the main character, S, wakes up on a sailboat out at sea in the Pacific Northwest with no memory as to who she is or how she got there. She can remember things like how to sail a boat, but doesn't have a single memory from her past or how she came by that knowledge. All she has is a note without context telling her to start over and not look back. The story is really a mystery set against the backdrop of climate change. It's not a full-on climate change story. There is great character development, world building, and more. It is certainly thought-provoking, especially in light of all of these horrible fires in Canada right now that keep pushing down the smoke into the U.S., as well as these horrible heat waves we're experiencing in Texas. So it really is particularly timely and relevant right now. And that is Adrift by Lisa Brito. That's one that has escaped me so far, but I plan to read it and agree with your timeliness. We have an air quality alert here that we've never had before. And I just walked out to get my mail yesterday and my throat was tingling and my eyes were burning. It was wild. And here we've had over 100 degrees for days on end, something we've never had before. So I think it's very interesting and certainly helpful to read some of these types of books. Yeah, definitely. Next for me is Strong Female Character by Fern Brady, and this came out June 6th. This is a unique memoir that gives a window into the mind of a neurodiverse woman 
and I'm so glad that I picked it up. Prior to reading this, I had not heard of Fern Brady, but she is a Scottish comedian who was diagnosed with autism as an adult. As would be expected from a comedian, some parts of her story are humorous, but she mainly recounts her misunderstood childhood, misdiagnosis as a teen, and how nobody, even members of her close family, ever seemed to understand her. She was repeatedly brushed off by medical professionals and was finally diagnosed with autism as an adult. Fern speaks to the unique challenges of diagnosing women with autism due to their chameleon-like ability to mask their symptoms. She also explores sexism that she experienced related to her autism, which I found to be something that I had never heard of anybody describe before. I highly recommend Strong Female Character by Fern Brady, especially on audio as Fern narrates her story in a great Scottish accent. I had not heard of this one till it was on your list, so I need to track it down. It's definitely unlike any other memoir that I've read before, and it feels really important to me to try to hear stories from people that have different experiences than my own, and I know you feel the same way too. Absolutely. My next title is Silent Came the Monster by Amy Hill Hearth, which came out May 16th. This is a great historical fiction title covering a topic that I have not read about elsewhere. Silent Came the Monster chronicles the real-life shark attacks that inspired the movie Jaws. It's July 1916, a time when little is known about ocean creatures, and swimming in the sea is a relatively new pastime. Americans up and down the East Coast are shocked and mystified by a swimmer's gruesome and unexplained death in the ocean. And little do they know that this is only the beginning. Set against the backdrop of World War I and a polio epidemic, people are not inclined to believe that a shark could kill anyone. This book has a very strong sense of place and time, and Hearth does a fabulous job bringing that era and all that was happening to life. With the knowledge that we have today, I found it so intriguing to see how little people knew about sharks in the early part of the 20th century and how humans' responses to things unknown or unseen then were eerily similar to how people still respond today and how quick people are to doubt what is new and unknown to them. My daughter and I recently visited the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, which has a fabulous shark exhibit. And these same New Jersey shark attacks were chronicled in the exhibit, which I thought was really fun because I had literally just finished the book. And that is Silent Came the Monster by Amy Hill Hearth. Well, as you know, I've been on a shark kick lately after I just finished Shark Heart by Emily Haybeck a debut I loved. And so maybe I just need to keep going with the sharks and pick this one up too. It's just really funny to think about the fact that people had no idea that sharks were dangerous. And so all these shark attacks are happening and people are like, it could not be a shark. There's no way. And it's just funny a hundred years later to be like, well, of course it was a shark. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think so too. Moving on to other animals, I have Girls and Their Horses by Eliza Jane Brazier, and this came out June 6th as well. This book was juicy horse girl drama at its finest. We get an inside look at the cutthroat world of elite horse racing, where the horse girls are mean, the rich moms are petty, and money can't buy talent, but it sure does try. The story follows the Parker family as they move from Texas to an exclusive Southern California ranch. Desperate to fit in with the barn moms, Heather Parker purchases the best horse money can buy for her unskilled daughter. Their relentless pursuit for the competitive edge leads to a mysterious death. Detectives must uncover the truth buried in a tangled web of equestrian opulence. 
This book was compared to Big Little Lies as a comp, and I can absolutely see that. I think it makes for a perfect poolside reading. That was Girls and Their Horses by Eliza Jane Brazier. I love that the comp actually held up because I feel like so often I'll see this comp and I'll read a book and I'll be like, hmm, how exactly did they get from book one to book two? So I'm glad that that one worked. And I've heard nothing but great things about that book. Yeah, the comp was spot on. I was skeptical too, but I'm like, oh no, I do see it. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. So I'm on to The Dark That Doesn't Sleep by Simon Mockler, which came out June 6th. This fast-paced historical thriller centers around a mystery at a top-secret American military base built under the ice in Greenland, a locale inspired by an actual Cold War project called Project Iceworm. It is December 1967, and FBI consultant and psychiatrist Jack Miller is called to Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. to interview Private Connor Murphy. Three soldiers were trapped at the secret base in Greenland due to an Arctic storm, and when rescuers finally reach the base days later, only Connor is still alive, badly burned with no memory of what caused the fire that killed the other two soldiers. The FBI hires Dr. Miller to help recover Private Connor's memories, as well as determine which soldier was passing secrets to the Russians. The more he delves into the case, the more he realizes that nothing is as it seems. The Dark That Doesn't Sleep is a clever thriller with countless surprising twists and turns that weaves in fascinating historical details about a failed top-secret military base in Greenland. Once I started it, I couldn't put it down, and it's another one that I read in less than a day. My husband also read this one super quickly and loved it. I just felt all these details about this actual base in Greenland, which when I interviewed Simon Mockler, he told me that they don't even know where the base is anymore because they abandoned it, and then it's so icy up there, and they don't have the exact coordinates that nobody has been back to it in decades, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And that's The Dark That Doesn't Sleep by Simon Mockler. Well, I think it's saying a lot about a book when it surprises you because I feel like you often see twists coming or the direction that things are going. And so that that's high praise. I do often see them and my husband does as well. And I told Simon that when I interviewed him, I was like, I was totally surprised, not once, but twice. I couldn't even believe it. And it's one of those where you look back and you see all the details and I'm like, how did I not put it together? He crafted it beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely one that I want to get to before the end of the year. It's so good. Next is Crow Mary by Kathleen Grissom. And this also came out June 6th. That was a big day. <laughs> it was a big day. I still have more books for that day. I feel like June in general was just huge. Uh-huh. This novel is based on the true story of Crow Mary, an indigenous woman torn between two worlds in 19th century North America. Kathleen Grissom started researching this novel in 2002. And she worked directly with Crow Mary's descendants to highlight the story of this bold woman from history. The cross-cultural marriage between Crow Mary and her white husband was a fascinating dynamic. I also really loved learning about the indigenous cultural practices and how their worldview differed from the white settlers. And last night, as I mentioned, we hosted Kathleen for our Chapters and Chats book club, and she was so wonderful. She actually showed us a picture of Mary and went into more detail about her writing process. I highly recommend Crow Mary by Kathleen Grissom. I also really enjoyed listening to her interview with you as well, where she shared that the cover was done by a famous Crow artist. And I love that you asked about that. I thought that was so cool. And I love red. So I loved the cover because it was bright red. And I was curious about that. And then I found out all these very cool details about who designed it. Yeah, I loved that so much. 
I really liked that book as well. As we've mentioned, there are just so many books coming out, but I thought it was fantastic. And I really felt that she inhabited Crow Mary so beautifully. And I learned so much about what it would have been like to have been a Crow woman trying to understand these white people moving into your territory and how they were doing things and how she was so used to sleeping outside. And it was really difficult to go into a cabin or a hut and have, you know, not be able to see the night sky. I just felt that there were so many of those things I'd never thought about before. And she really made it so visual. She sure did. My next book is Same Time Next Summer by Annabelle Monahan, which also came out June 6th. This is Annabelle's follow-up to her wildly popular Nora Goes Off script, one of my favorites of last year. I love Nora so much and was thrilled that I also loved Same Time Next Summer as well. Samantha, who goes by Sam, returns for the first time in a while to her parents' Long Island summer home with her fiancé for a short weekend trip. Unexpectedly, her first love and childhood best friend Wyatt is also back visiting. Seeing him after all these years, mixed with some wedding planning stress, brings back feelings that question the state of Sam's current relationship and whether she is really happy or just biding her time. The story is told from dual points of view and timelines, which works very well for this one. I enjoyed getting swept up in the story and felt that her sense of place was so strong, as I've mentioned before, something that I often look for in a book. Both Sam and Wyatt had some great character growth, which ultimately really made their connection stronger. The music elements were a great added bonus to the plot as well. I recently interviewed Annabelle at Blue Willow Bookshop here in Houston, and she is delightful. The crowd clearly loved her books and asked her so many great questions. It was really a fun night. And that is Same Time Next Summer by Annabelle Monahan. It's so great when you love an author's books and then meet them in person and they're just as delightful as you hoped they would be. And she really has the most supportive fans. She posted about, I think it was Charleston, that she went to a couple stops after Houston. And a whole book club showed up with t-shirts with Nora, Leo, Sam, and Wyatt, you know, in that kind of um, Hamilton format. They, and they brought her one as well in a different color. She immediately put it on. But I just was amazed at the intensity in a good way of the fans at the event I attended. And then clearly, as she's gone on elsewhere, she's encountered the same thing. Oh, that must be so special for her. Yeah. Next for me is You Can Trust Me by Wendy Hurd, and this came out June 13th. You Can Trust Me starts as a grifter con story, but it devolves into so much more. I went into this book completely blind, and I'd really, really encourage you to do the same because I do think the publisher synopsis gives away way too much. Here's what I'll say. Pick this up if you want a cat-mouse thriller that will leave you on the edge of your seat. If you like books with rich people behaving very, very badly, and you enjoy reading about unhinged characters. This was a huge page turner, but also Wendy Hurd explores the bonds of female friendship and sisterhood so well. I love a thriller that encourages readers to think. And this story had me contemplating what it means to make a home in a world that has overlooked you. And when you don't have those four walls and a supportive family, and how do you find your identity? With its vivid island setting, You Can Trust Me by Wendy Hurd makes for a perfect poolside pick this summer. I'm not familiar with Wendy Hurd. Had you read her before this one? No, I was wondering if this was her debut, but I went back and looked and she has quite an extensive backlist. I'm always so fascinated by that. And again, it just supports what we've been saying. There are so many books out there. But when I come across an author like that and I think, oh, maybe it's a debut and instead they have a ton of other books. But the fun part of that is you can go back and read her earlier books now. Yes, exactly. This was just sent to me 
from a publisher. And I was like, oh, this might look good. And I was totally blown away. It was really fun. I love when that happens. So I'm on to The Long Way Back by Nicole Bart, which came out June 13th. Charlie creates what she thinks is the perfect Instagram life for herself and her teenage daughter, Ava, as a way for them to bond. The two travel the country and their Airstream while chronicling their adventures. Charlie avoids posting their faces and feels that that is enough protection from crazy internet stalkers, but soon realizes when Ava goes missing that internet fame comes with a dangerous downside. Themes of the danger of parents sharing information about their children are explored, opening up questions about what rights children have to their own privacy. Bart weaves in themes of mother-daughter relationships while opening up questions about a mother who wraps her child up in her own pursuits. The reason behind Ava's disappearance is so creative and incredibly timely. I have seen a review or two that thought that that part of the story seemed unrealistic, but I completely disagree. Just follow the news for even a day to see how common these issues are. The premise was fresh, different, bold, and explored extremely well. Nicole is another one of those authors that I chose for the July spoilers episode. Her book really lends itself to this kind of discussion because of the way Ava's disappearance plays out. And it was so fascinating to learn more about how she decided to do all of that. And that is The Long Way Back by Nicole Bart. That is one that, again, I definitely need to read. I feel like I just need to have my kids take care of themselves for a little bit if if I could and then just hold myself away in my room and read for days. Here, boys, y'all just hang out and I'm going to go read. (laughs) Nobody bother me. Exactly. Next is The Drowning Woman by Robin Harding. And this came out June 13th. This book was one that I didn't get my hands on before my summer reading guide launched, but I wish I had. This is a twisty psychological suspense that follows two women whose lives become intertwined when one saves the other from an attempted suicide drowning. One woman is homeless and running from a dark past, and the other woman is an affluent housewife, but her life is not as it seems. I just love when you read a book and you're never quite sure who to trust. It feels really unsettling in a good way when, as a reader, you aren't sure where to place your loyalties. The themes of betrayal, revenge, and love gone wrong really captivated my attention. That was The Drowning Woman by Robin Harding. I've been seeing people post about that one. Yeah, it's gotten some great reviews. It definitely has, and it has a cool cover. Yes. So my next one is A Right Worthy Woman by Ruth P. Watson, which also came out June 13th. In this compelling historical fiction book, Watson spotlights trailblazer Maggie Lena Walker, a Richmond woman who created the first Black-run bank in the United States and pioneered Black responses to the early Jim Crow-era policies that were adopted in the later civil rights movement. As a teenager, Walker was brilliant, outspoken, and aware of the economic discrepancy between her Jackson Ward neighbors and her laundress mother's wealthy white clients, so she decided to make it her life's work to help our community bridge that gap. She launched a newspaper, a bank, and a department store in her neighborhood, as well as organizing boycotts and helping Black neighbors and friends exert their economic power. She was an incredibly forward-thinking woman whose story should be known more widely. Readers will enjoy learning more about this influential woman who left an indelible mark on history. I just love that all of these women whose stories have not been told prior to now are slowly making their way out into the world And Maggie Lena Walker is definitely one of those women whose story needs to be told. And that is A Right Worthy Woman by Ruth P. Watson. I was just going to say the same thing. It's so amazing that these stories are being unearthed and brought to the attention of readers because they're so worthy of being told. I agree. 
Last but certainly not least is The Quiet Tenant by Clemence Michelin, and this came out June 20th. The story follows Aidan Thomas, who is a handsome father and a pillar of the community, and he also happens to be a serial killer. Our main narrator is an unnamed woman who was kidnapped by Aiden and imprisoned in his shed for five years. When Aiden's forced to sell his house, he moves the woman into the new home that he shares with his daughter under the guise of being his roommate. The Quiet Tenant strikes this perfect balance of a page-turning plot with really well-developed characters. We hear from Aiden's daughter, his love interest, and his victims who each offer vastly different perspectives on who Aiden is. Human captivity is obviously a dark topic, but the story isn't gratuitous with descriptions of murder, abuse, or gore, because they're only alluded to. The novel is less about the specifics of what happened to the women at the hands of a serial killer, and more about the spirit inside the victims that can't be dimmed. The tension in this story is simply unrivaled. It will be one of my favorites of the year. Easy five stars for me. Readers who appreciate stories that highlight the fortitude of the human spirit or enjoyed notes on an execution won't want to miss my favorite mystery of the year, The Quiet Tenant by Clemence Michelin. Everybody has been raving about this book, and I'm just so worried that it's going to be too creepy for me, so I keep avoiding picking it up, but I have not heard a bad thing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. It is creepy, but not gory. So it's if you don't think it's for you, that's okay. I'll try it at some point, hopefully. Maybe after like sandwiched between two really light and fluffy reads. Exactly. So my last book is The Spectacular by Fiona Davis, which came out June 13th. Anyone who listens to me for more than five minutes knows what a super fan I am of Fiona Davis. She bases each of her books in an iconic New York City building, and The Spectacular is set at one of the city's most well-known and beloved locales, Radio City Music Hall. 19-year-old Marion is selected as a Rockette, the prestigious dance troupe that performs at Radio City Music Hall, much to the chagrin of her parents and her boyfriend. She loves the job, but with four shows a day and exhausting rehearsals, she is not left with much time for anything else. Then one evening, a bomb explodes in the theater, and Marion's personal connection draws her into the investigation. The behind-the-scenes glimpses into both Radio City Music Hall and the Rockettes are fascinating, and aspects of the story are really personal for Davis. I also love that she always, in addition to focusing on a building, weaves in some story that was relevant to the time period. I'd never heard of the Big Apple Bomber, and I love that she wove that story in as well. I always feel like I learn so much whenever I read her stories. The idea for this one came from one of Fiona's fans, an actual Rockette who wrote her a letter saying, I think this would be such an interesting topic for you to write about. The woman's name is Sandy, and she's appeared at a few of Fiona's book events for this book, which is so cool. While I am sure tackling Radio City Music Hall was daunting, Fiona did a fabulous job bringing the iconic venue and its legendary Rockettes to life. And that is The Spectacular by Fiona Davis. I loved this one too. And what I found most interesting was the dawn of the psychological profiling and how that came into play with this mystery. I just thought that was so interesting to think about how that all began when they're investigating crimes. I agree. And I asked her in our interview about whether she had to do much research about that. And she said, no, because this was the very first time they had ever used it. And so there wasn't a lot to research. She just had to study the guy that was doing all of this and see what he did and incorporate that to her book. And I thought, oh, that is so interesting. That is interesting. 
I also thought it was fascinating to me when I was looking back at my picks that I didn't have a single World War II story. I feel like every single time I love World War II and there's always a World War II story, but I had tons of historical fiction and not one of them was set during World War II. Oh, you're right. That is interesting. And I I wonder if publishers are moving away from that a little bit, which is sad because it, there are so many great stories too, but it's nice to have some variety as well. Yes, I think there are still a number of stories coming out. It just happens that maybe they didn't fall in this window. And there were three books that I really, really liked as well that I'm just going to quickly shout out. On Fire Island by Jane L. Rosen, The Last One Left by Riley Sager, and Inside Threat by Matthew Quirk. All three of those are fabulous reads and could have been listed with the rest of these. I just had to get it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you snuck a few extras in there. Exactly. Well, Kelly, thank you as always. This was such a great conversation. I'm always curious to see what you're going to have on your list. And then it's interesting when we compare them. And I enjoy hearing about the ones that I either haven't read or have read, but they didn't quite make my list. So it's fun to have this conversation. I agree. And I'm excited for the next few months of reading because I think I could be wrong, but I think last year, the July, August, September timeframe were some of our favorites. I think that's right. And so far, I feel like March and June pulled so many of my reads. And I'm kind of curious to see if it will be the same way for July, August, and September. One particular month has a ton of reads or whether it's going to be more evenly spread. I already know of a couple that I've loved in that window. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Well, I'll be excited to hear. Me too. Thanks again. Thanks, Cindy. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. I hope you'll tune in next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.